What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome one and all to another episode of Positively Trek. I am one of your co-hosts, Barry, here with my co-host, Dan, and we are going to be having an interesting and fun and wacky conversation as we normally do. Um, I still feel like we could be talking about Star Trek Prodigy for like eight parts, (laughs) so I don't feel like we've totally left that discussion behind because I'm rewatching it again because because <laughs> I'm crazy like that um, no I, I, re- I really did enjoy it and uh, and it was really great to talk about it and I did ghost ghost view a bit of a bit of discussion here and there on it so that's good to see on the uh, the Facebook page and of course that is a place that you can find us is on the positively Trek Facebook page where sometimes I appear uh, like a uh, strange and hard to notice light in the sky mm. how was your week Dan? Not too bad. Uh, So it's a bit of a week of transition for me because I've mostly left my retail job and I'm going back to substitute teaching. So uh, the upsides of that is my schedule is going to more closely resemble your schedule, which should make getting together and doing this a little bit easier. And uh, evenings and weekends, for the most part, I have. And and I'm just coming off the tail end of the weekend. We're recording this uh, later in the evening on Sunday. So this has kind of been my first weekend being able to spend it with my wife in quite a while, which is lovely. I We both really enjoyed that. I think I might have gotten on our nerves a bit, but, you know, we'll, we'll play it by ear. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad to hear that you're getting that change, Dan, and I will <clears throat> want some play-by-play on uh, uh, how you found things uh, since, since you've been away for a little while. Uh, I know substitute teaching um, in your neck of the woods can be quite the lucrative profession. There's uh, a lot of need for, for teachers, I think, all around North America right now. Um, mm-hmm. just due to the, uh, way things have been in the last little while, but at the same time, um, yeah, I'm glad you're, uh, I'm glad you're re re getting back into that. I think you've got, uh, you've got what it takes the sterner stuff, shall we say? Well, I, I certainly hope so. We'll see. I, I'm a bit nervous, but yeah, I, I kind of took this week off, which was kind of nice. And, uh, this coming week, I'm going to be getting back into it. So that's no, good. It's good to get that, uh, that little bit of transition time to, mm-hmm. uh, kind of reacclimatize yourself and whatnot. So I'm just excited that you and I can like get to be like friends and stuff now. Yeah. And, yeah. and <laughs> me and all my friends and oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> I have I'm, a life I'm, again. <laughs> I'm a one at a time friend kind of person. So I'm just going to work on you for a little bit. We'll play some board games. I love a it. Swing. Yeah. Go from there. Oh, I, I love it. Me- Actually, maybe I should stop rewatching Prodigy, and that can be the first thing you and I do. Oh, that'd be cool. <laughs> we'll try. We'll, we'll try fancy soups and Prodigy. That's what I'm thinking. Ooh, fancy soup and Prodigy night. I like yeah, that. <laughs> fancy soup. Mm, do you like cilantro? I do. I very much like cilantro. Perfect. Okay, good. 
I, I'm, I'm not one of the people with the apparent genetic condition where it tastes like soap. Uh, mm-hmm. I can I can get that though. There's a pungentness to it that I'm like, ah, okay, yeah, 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 but yeah, not so much. Yeah. Well, it has been a week for um, for Star Trek uh, here as well. We are coming up on some news items here before we get to our major topic today, and I'm very very excited to talk about the the season three trailer debut that we're seeing with Star Trek Picard. Have you had a chance to watch it, Dan? I have indeed. Uh, yeah, very excited about this trailer. And the the season three of Picard as a whole, for sure. Well, given the fact that this medium doesn't really allow for visuals, um, and especially for our friends who are currently driving right now, don't look at uh, from where (laughs) this is broadcasting. Just listen, and there'll be some sound effects you won't quite get. But uh, here's how the trailer sounds. You will probably find this inspection boring for the likes of you two. Boring? Well, we won't be blowing things up. Taking or engaging in fire, crash landing expectedly or unexpectedly. Those were the days. There is something coming. Battle stations. Some kind of attack. And Starfleet could be the target. There's a darkness. I'll consume in darkness. And it is getting stronger. John Luke, trust no one. Jean Picard. We will have vengeance. to the far reaches of space. But something's different now. This is the end, my friend. Jordy! Such pathetic old warriors. I too was once irrational, violent. Anybody you know, still the person you knew. This is life or death. It's always life or death. John Luke, when has it not been? With each ticking moment, I will take another piece of you. Battle stations! John Luke! Survival. <laughs> Human nature, pal. Fight, or we die. Hold it! Gun it! I need you. All of you. We're with you. Always. Engage! Well, are you enjoying this? Of course not. Are you? A lot of zappy noises and people saying really serious stuff. Um, I really like that. I'm really excited. I'm excited, but also not excited. Before we got to talking, I, I got kind of all lamenty because as much as this is, you know, looking to be a amazing 
TNG reunion in a lot of ways. This will be the last time we see these people together, probably in an actual franchisee Star Trek-y way. And I don't know. It feels kind of I'm I'm a little melancholy about that. Would you would you say the same, Dan? I would agree. Now, in recent weeks, there has been this sort of rumbling from some of the cast. Of course, we talked a bit about Jonathan Frake saying something along these lines and Patrick Stewart himself has been saying that like, you know, oh, if this does really well, this might not be the end. How much stock do you put in comments like that? And, and what could that mean? <sighs> I, I guess like with the franchise doing so much, and the franchise asserting that, you know, like Michelle Yeoh's going to be coming back in, all of those sorts of things, you know, with its successful um, properties within the franchise, you know, all coming into, at the very least, their sophomore season. I don't really know what their production output looks like, and I worry to some degree if they move how fast I would think they would have to move, just sort of like given the actors and everything like that. I worry that the storyline might not necessarily pan out quite as well if they do something really fast. I find that um, First Contact notwithstanding, TNG films were a little more miss than hit, would you say? Mm -hmm. I I would (laughs) tend to agree, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, and, and that said, like, that is within the context of I would readily and happily watch any Star Trek movie right now if I had the time, um, just because I do enjoy them all, but I don't know, TNG episodes, I find I I gravitate towards a little bit more than films. And I, and I think that the way a good story gets, gets told in this respect would be much better done in season format. I think that's why they did this in the first place. So I guess for me, it does feel very much like maybe I want this to kind of be the end as well. It's like, I Mm. I couldn't handle another bite of cake. Um, this was a treat enough as it was being there when uh, Sir Pat came out and said that, you know, Picard is back and stuff like that at STLV. I feel like this is kind of a neat full circle thinking about where I was in my life then and where I am now, all these sorts of things. So kind of getting maybe deeper than we needed to on this. I hope they're wrong. I I hope that's just bluster and we can, we can say goodbye to these characters in a really cool way in this season. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, Definitely see where you're coming from there for sure. I, my mind goes back to Nemesis and how that up until this third season of Picard was the swan song for the TNG crew. It was supposed to be for the last 20 years, right? And how thankful I am under the assumption that season three is going to blow my socks off, which, uh, you know, I'm I'm giving it a big mission directive to fill, but... Uh, from what I've seen, I, I, I'm cautiously optimistic. So the fact that that will, and again, fingers crossed, be a really great send off for this crew, I can see the trepidation for extending that and stretching it out and trying to get more out of it when maybe that wouldn't be the best choice. Here's to a, here's to a good season. I think it's been kind of hinted enough that we may lose a tried and tested well-loved long-time character and i have my bets and i don't know if you do dan or not but uh here's to a good season three here here i'm really looking forward to it so in the world of streaming things paramount paramount plus is going to be merging with showtime i think uh, obviously we up here in the northern realm we already have our own kind of idiosyncratic streaming pairings and whatnot I think this is a lot more for our friends um, 
south of the border, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. What do you make of it? I mostly just included this in the news because it gave me a little bit of a chuckle. I mean, does everybody remember CBS All Access? And that was... (laughs) that's been rebranded into Paramount Plus. And now apparently going forward, the official name will be Paramount Plus with Showtime is the official full name of the streaming service once this kind of all goes through. It rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Absolutely. Um, (laughs) Now, the other thing with this is with this rebranding, it looks like there is going to be a price increase as there always is with that sort of thing. So... Uh, Maybe some unwelcome news for a lot of viewers, but uh, yeah, that's uh, what's going on in the uh, home of Star Trek and streaming in the U.S. So I find it amusing that like, you know, cable cutting was this thing, you know, you can watch on your own time, yada, yada, yada. But really, we've just basically been painted into, you know, like several kind of like four or five major fifes, right? You got your Disney's, you got your Netflix and your, your HBO, whatever, like they're all, they all do their own thing, I guess, or Amazon Prime, there we are. And they all have their, their great properties, you know, like I got to say, um, I got myself an Amazon Prime uh, membership because I really like watching The Expanse. Here, here, uh, right there with you. <laughs> uh, it's really good. But yeah. like at the same time, you know, you're, you're paying into a gigantic heartless corporation so some billionaire can, can take William Shatner to space with him. Uh, all these sorts of things. So I do feel, I feel kind of frustrated and, and annoyed. I'm, I've actually started watching uh, Star Wars Andor recently. Mm, and, yeah. and I found it really uh, entertaining. Those of you who like classic cinema, go and watch the battle for Algiers. You're going to see a lot of connective tissue and sometimes scenes that you'll go, wait a minute, I know where this, where this is going. Um, really, really cool. And interesting that they would be taking such a, a radical take with that, that uh, under Disney plus you could, you could get out uh, Che Guevara's guerrilla warfare book and, and like see kind of the things that they're getting up to. They're like, oh yeah, no, that, that, that tracks. So interesting there, but I digress. Merging streaming services and all that sort of stuff. I think, you know, these amoebas are just going to keep swallowing each other until there's just one big one, I think. Yeah, I mean, that seems to be the the trend of things, which I, I don't know if that's better or if it's better having to pay for 10 different ones, depending on what you want to see. It, it's a bit frustrating. We're all over the place right now. We, of course, uh, in Canada... Um, we have Crave. That's a big one because it's got HBO and all the Star Treks and stuff, you know, all the new Game of Thrones stuff as well. And The Last of Us, which we've started watching a lot of it because most of it was filmed in Alberta. So that's on Crave. We've got Netflix. We've got Disney Plus to watch all the Star Wars stuff. And we've got Prime to watch The Expanse and The Rings of Power and all that sort of stuff. And, and we've kind of drawn a line there, but there's like a bunch of stuff that Apple TV has now that everyone's talking about that we want to watch. So, ah, it, yeah, it's frustrating. And uh, I, I hate to be just this, you know, consumer of all media and being forced to pay for all these things. But I just watch Star Trek and <laughs> <laughs> sometimes I'm on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I, like yeah. I, like I like a good documentary. Anyways, speaking of social media and everything like that, one good thing that you get is sometimes uh, really great news. Dayton Ward's uh, new novel's cover art has been released, Somewhere to Belong, and it is a lovely sort of matted out polychrome chromatic pastel-y picture 
with uh, Michael Burnham kind of big, and then the uh, the sort of the regal heads of Stamets, Culber, and I'm guessing Tilly, I think, or is that someone else? Is that Tilly? Yeah, that's definitely Tilly there. She's given sure. me a Romulan vibe with her eyebrows like that. Oh. <laughs> I was like, it's like, is that Tilly? Yeah, that's definitely Tilly. Yeah, it's very stylistic. I'm so excited for this cover in particular because a lot of times Star Trek novel covers go through different phases and stuff. And anything to do with the new shows like Discovery, Picard or Strange New Worlds, the novel covers tend to be various rearrangements of promotional pictures and headshots of characters and stuff. And this is really the first discovery one that I can think of off the top of my head that doesn't follow that route and has this more kind of artistic take. Uh, and I mean, they are, I think, promotional pictures with a filter put on them to make, you know, but the the composition in the arrangement and the colors, I, I just think is really cool. I think it's different and I really appreciate it. I get kind of a Ziggy Stardust vibe mm. from the way the light from the, I guess, the, the discovery as it's going by sort of lightens the color of Sinequa Martin Green's eyes a little bit, mm -hmm. kind of adds that sort of shock of violety purple. I really like it. And you're right. Yeah, these 100% could be promotional pictures that they've just jazzed up but uh, i'd put that on my wall it looks nice oh absolutely so yeah i'm excited for this book but it's due out on may 30th in trade paperback ebook and audiobook so dayton ward friend of the podcast and always a heck of a writer so this is going to be a fun one i think he does very very good novels i enjoy him what's so special about hero bread's soft fluffy and delicious breads buns and tortillas Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. This episode of Positively Trek would not be possible without the support of those of you who have gone to patreon.com slash positively trek and signed up to become a Patreon supporter of the show. Thank you all so very much for your donations. They truly do help bring this show to you each week. Thank you especially to our Constitution class supporters, Joyce Marin, Jim Stoffel, Jesse Earle, Dave Garcia, Rick Young, and Paul D. Kinnear. If you'd like to become a supporter of the show, go to patreon.com slash positivelytrek. You can get perks such as early access to episodes, ad-free versions of episodes, exclusive content, shoutouts, associate producer credits, and much more. Once again, that's patreon.com slash positivelytrek. Thank you all once again. And now, let's get back to the show. Well, I think it's time we get to our main topic. This one I, uh, I I pitched to Dan would have been two weeks ago, sort of on the fly, and have been giving it tacit thought ever since. I don't know if I brought it up or not uh, in the last episode, but uh, just sort of a bit of a, a passing interest that I noticed that Dan and I have, and I don't know if I'm uh, letting the cat out of the bag, and I don't want to lose our more scientifically minded listeners, but uh, <laughs> we're entering into the world of the woo um the the strange uh one thing that dan and i both admitted to one another is we enjoy uh, going on youtube and watching those sort of 
you know, someone filmed something weird on their phone videos. Nuke's top five is probably, if anyone wants to kind of get an idea of what we're talking about, I think he's probably the, the slickest and most interesting, well-produced um, ghost video compilation people out there would you say i would say so i i enjoy his videos you pointed me in in his direction there uh yeah the the kind of videos where you know there's there's somebody's heard something so they start filming and weird things happen and i, I find like 50 percent of them 25 to 50 percent. i'm like okay i think i know how they did that I, oh i think that's that and then the other half being kind of like i don't understand and it's weirding me out uh, I think Bizarre Bub is kind of a, one that I found yeah. uh, and and got me kind of into that sort of thing as well. So, yeah, I <laughs> I am a very skeptical person and a very scientific minded person. So sometimes I find it hard for myself to kind of square that with my interest in those because a lot of times the hosts of those videos are are very much jumping to the paranormal explanation for what it is which yeah i don't know i <laughs> i kind of sometimes find myself rolling my eyes but still compelled to hit next you know it's, it's i don't know i feel i feel you on that and i think maybe that's that's part of it is um to be completely committed to the strange you know is isn't necessarily somewhere i've always wanted to find myself i, I like being rational but uh at the same time um, though I'm very scientifically minded, I think in the way I, I operate, I do have a place for um, for the sublime and, and maybe um, to use a big word, the liminal, and and that kind of space in between feeling. I've had you know personally, I've had experiences in my life that would cause me to consider the possibility that what we perceive in our reality um, isn't entirely what is there. And I think, you know, usually what I like to say is like, we see a spectrum of light. But if you went to Chernobyl or Fukushima Daiichi, you wouldn't notice that you're getting, like your cells are getting pulverized by radioactive energy, right? Um, you wouldn't be able to see it, perceive it, smell it or anything, but you'll die. And I think mm -hmm. of it kind of in that sense that um, what we're going to talk about today is sort of not necessarily something neither Dan or I would compel anyone to believe. But I think just for the sake of even if you think the whole thing's nonsense, sometimes it's fun to just play and, and to think about what exactly is going on. Sometimes it's interesting to find weird stuff. And given that Star Trek bases itself in a universe, quote unquote, where space travel is now the norm and encountering alien species is, I would say, mundane at best, um, because sometimes, you know, you, you, you know, you're shift mates with someone from a completely different planet that was light years away and your species would have never, never otherwise existed, or sorry, your species would have never, never otherwise interacted with each other if it wasn't for this amazing faster than light travel that now we're capable of. And, you know, I mean, Star Trek doesn't really trouble itself with some of the implications of that, that, you know, like, if you pointed the ship in a direction and then headed over there, where you would arrive, would it necessarily be the past or the future or whatever else? There's sort of a time constant that warp speed seems to follow, even though if you were to be in a stationary place, you know, say Earth, looking at where Aldebaran would be, um, you'd be seeing like a snapshot from the past versus if you were to just head there for some coffee, and looked back at the Earth, you would also be seeing a snapshot from the past. And so you get into these crazy implications that I'm trying to blow everyone's mind with and to try to sort of give us a bit of a palate cleanser. 
Yeah. Today we're talking about aliens. <laughs> In that vein, I've always thought it would be interesting just like if I had the bridge of a Federation starship, I would love to just like depart Earth orbit, fly at warp five in one direction, stop, turn around, take out the telescope and look back at earth orbit. And my ship would be in orbit of the earth. You could moon yourself. Totally. (laughs) (laughs) Incoming transmissions. Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Which is wild to me. Like it's just that the light is just getting to you there but for all intents and purposes when you're looking back at the earth you're seeing yourself there so now i want to take you back to an ancestor of yours and maybe a shared ancestor our first shared ancestor i'm sure you and i have an uncle or an aunt somewhere down the line and they came to their first canyon and they heard their first echo mm-hmm. I, I you know i think about the the sort of the perception of our reality is very much based on what we're conditioned with as young people. Sort of as a thought experiment, sometimes I try to explain to people um, in sort of an oblique way what it would be like to be tagged as a polar bear in the Arctic, right? Picture the helicopter, picture the dart, picture the being drugged and not understanding it and then being weighed and and this weird piercing in your ear and you got this weird tag there now or, you know, anything like that. Um, for a polar bear, what in its conditioned experience would it how would it be able to perceive anything that was happening to it in that period of time right how would a polar bear explain it to its polar bear friends if it could right so sometimes i think about what we're trying to get into possibly today as you know maybe a problem of perception in certain cases yeah i I love that the the idea of perception is one that really resonates with me and as an example ancestors in my family living here in the north where we do would have looked up at the night sky and seen the Northern Lights. And that's a phenomenon that has been explained scientifically. Nowadays, we know what causes that. It's solar wind interacting with the it's ionizing in our atmosphere and yada, yada, yada. I mean, it's explained by people. I couldn't give you the explanation <laughs> off the top of my head, but I know it's explained. <laughs> but to ancestors of mine, that was spirits of people who had departed uh, dancing in the sky and other spirits from various realms and that sort of thing. And and there was even the belief that if you whistled, they would come and take you away. And, and so that was a, that was a huge fear in young people, for example, uh, even my mom, when she was a kid, she told the story of, of how the Northern lights, that had been dancing and and some kids went out and whistled and her uncle used that to scare the pants off of them (laughs) and you know fun stuff like that so even common everyday things like thunder and lightning you know two thousand years ago what was that you know like (laughs) there's so many really like honestly terrifying things in our world that if we didn't have this huge dreams of of scientific explanation that we'd been, we'd learned and taught ourselves over the generations, we would be as scared and, and as tiny and, and arguably still are as tiny and scared as that polar bear getting tagged by this unknown creature in the Arctic. So it's interesting to kind of 
make those comparisons. And, you know, I, I think of a similar scene from Babylon 5 where one of the characters, Jakar, picks up an ant from a plant and examines it and puts it back and turns to the person's like, if you were that ant, what what do you think just happened? What would he say? Right. What was that? You know? <laughs> what, what, what the crap? Yeah, well, exactly. And so when we when we start getting into this, I want to kind of start a little more scientific in our in our conversation and eventually sort of descend more into that liminal wooey space and uh, for those of us listening uh, yeah if there's anything that you'd want to share on 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 the chat uh, on positively trek uh, chat on facebook um, to continue this conversation after i'll definitely ghost around again pun intended <laughs> um, so you know in star trek the alien species represented in the franchise, I would say, kind of do more to explain the facets of the human condition rather than like depicting anything we would or could encounter uh, should we ever make the stars, make it to the stars one day. So kind of in, in light of these sort of semi-recent admissions by top government officials, both here in Canada and especially in the USA, um, I want to sort of get into this bigger take on us on whether or not we may be, in fact, being visited from beings from, say, another planet or something else. So though I think Star Trek does get into some of this, you know, with like green little green men in Deep Space Nine or um, even some of the, the body horror scenes um, in Caretaker right at the start of Voyager when um, Ensign Kim is getting that needle. I got I got X-Files vibes very much from that. And so <clears throat> maybe we start kind of more in this sort of scientific end of things, um, but maybe we'll be leaving Star Trek to some degree here, but I, I, I plan to kind of bring it back from time to time as we go. I mean, looking at the ship itself, the saucer section really reminds me of what Kenneth Arnold might have seen that one day in Washington State in his airplane. But anyways, first of all, Dan, have you ever seen anything weird in the sky? I've seen things in the sky that I wasn't able to identify necessarily, but nothing that I would characterize as something that shouldn't be there, if that makes sense. I, oh, I think the most recent one, I didn't see this, but one that I loved was the, the that little swirl that appeared in the sky over Hawaii recently. Mm. I don't know if you'd seen that. And it turned out to be a SpaceX launch. Yeah. Uh, and it was, you know, the Coriolis effect basically affecting the the trail of it. And from that angle looking up, it looked like the Bajoran wormhole opening or something like that. Like oh, it was wow. crazy. But yeah, for myself, I've seen things that like I was wondering what that was or what that is, but nothing that like really made me go, I don't think that's supposed to be there. <laughs> Fair enough. I've, I've, I have myself on a couple of occasions had experiences where something that I don't think should have been there was there. And so I think the one I'll, I will share is just, um, would have been probably two and a half years ago. I was on my deck. Um, I'd let my dogs out into the backyard and was staring up at the stars because um, I love to do that and could make out the constellations. Typically, Orion figured heavily, um, but this was actually kind of more in the summertime, so Orion wouldn't have been there. Um, but I was looking up and um, I noticed all of a sudden my one dog, my little dog, Nico, really wanted inside, like more than I'd ever noticed. And, you know, like she'd get spooked and stuff like that, but it was it was a little alarming to see her so aggravated. Um, and just as I was turning, something in the air caught my eye. And so I looked up and I would say, and this is, this is the best I can do for height. So if you don't have these where you are, I don't know, look it up. Um, 
the two spruce trees high. Does that does that give you an idea? Mm-hmm. Yeah, two spruce trees high. There was a blue light, and it was moving slowly in a uniform direction. Uh, in my head, if I go, it was heading south and east. It was like a thick color of blue, and it was a very luminescent. But it was as if if I was to approach it, and I wouldn't be able to, but let's say if I was to approach it, it was as if the, the light was such that I could gather it in my hands. Does that give hmm. you an idea of what I was seeing? Yeah, I think I, I've got an image in my head, yeah. It made no noise, and it definitely was light. Like it was light and very colorful, and it, it its light was, was illuminating, you know, the tops of the... I had an oak tree, and then there were two spruce trees in my backyard uh, at the time. And I got this weird sensation as I was looking at it that it had changed its direction was then kind of coming in our direction. But in hindsight, it could have been an optical illusion or maybe I was seeing things altogether. But my little dog really wanted in still and she was actually like vocalizing, making little noises, like yelpy noises that she had to go inside. And so I really felt this sensation that it was time to go inside as well. But my other dog, Kona, she was just completely oblivious. It was as if nothing was going on. And so I basically had to hand bomb her into the house like a suitcase. I just picked her up by her <laughs> scruff and carried her in um, and shut the door. And I hid in my basement for the rest of the night. I was, I was like proper spooked by that. Wow. And um, just have no explanation for it. Like I thought, was it a drone? But like... I know what a drone sounds like, and it was it was low enough that it would have made noise. But uh, that would have been probably the the most like prescient one in my mind. Um, there's others, but I want to kind of get on with the conversation to some degree. Wow, yeah. I mean, without having seen it myself, I mean, obviously, I I wouldn't have the expertise to give any kind of explanation anyway if I had seen it myself. And uh, yeah, that sounds that sounds pretty terrifying. Eh, yeah, just eh. <laughs> Like I think about it right now and it just sends chills up my spine. Ugh. Anyways, so what I want to get to is, is, okay, let's pretend that was actually, you know, like what I would say most people in pop culture would understand is that is, if it's not made by us, then it's made by extraterrestrial life. Meaning somewhere probably within, you know, the local group of stars, so, you know, Proxima Centauri or something in the near area, there is a species of animal on that planet that has uh, sufficiently developed its ability to travel probably faster than light um, and it is visiting us and potentially visiting for whatever its reasons are and that's what I saw. What do you think of this concept of like the physics of an alien species making making air like craft to come over here? What, what do you feel of that sort of theory? What's well, one of those things where I, I certainly 100% I, I think just because of the statistics involved that alien life does exist somewhere outside of our solar system. Like I, I just, the math says that it, it very, very probably should. And I would like to think mostly because I would like to believe it's possible for us as a species. I would like to think that that life has survived long enough and been able to overcome the technological hurdles to be able to traverse the interstellar void. Yeah, I, I have a hard time. I don't know, barring extraordinary evidence. I, I don't know myself if I could 
really readily accept the fact that they're visiting Earth. That said, if uh, I can bring Star Trek into it again, I mean, the Vulcans in Star Trek history regularly, kind of routinely, were doing survey missions in and around Earth, right? So, you know, in our in our fiction that we talk about, it's certainly something that uh, is on writers' minds and people's minds and that sort of thing. And I, I won't discount the possibility because... That's just the flip side of it is saying, well, it's impossible. No, it's not impossible. Is it likely? I don't know. I don't have enough variables to be able to say, but I like the idea of it. And my my brain also goes to other things like when we think of spacecraft and and aliens visiting earth we think of it in very human terms we think of a craft that has been constructed out of metal and things and then assembled given some sort of propulsion and then flown light years to come here to do a thing and my brain sometimes goes to more things like what about opening a wormhole and peering through that wormhole at the earth and the opening of that ph- phenomenon is what people are seeing or something like that. You know, I, I, I think sometimes we still think too earth centric with regards to how aliens would do things that might not necessarily be the, uh, the way that they would do it. Right. Maybe their most obvious thing to do would be to transmit themselves on radio waves or something. Maybe they're capable of that. Like, <laughs> Who knows? Or subspace radio waves, so they get here faster. <laughs> well, I, I I do think that um, you're onto something because, I mean, even the concept of you know social media communication is a dimension that I don't think many people in the past could have necessarily perceived. Right? I mean, you think about the way the Jetsons portrayed what is kind of almost now, you know, versus what is actually now, and and stuff like that. You're always going to have the idea that history is not an account of the past, but a reflection of the present. Uh, And the same goes for whatever we project of ourselves into the future, right? That's why there was carpet on the 90s enterprise, right? (laughs) So I think that I think that you're right, that the probability of there being life is infinitesimally probable (laughs) in so many ways, right? Um, You just have to look at the Hubble Deep Field Telescope to get an idea of just how many galaxies are out there, right? But that said, you know, when those species sort of come online, quote unquote, being able to actually do what they're doing versus if they accidentally or intentionally or in any other way get snuffed out or snuff themselves out. I mean, Carl Sagan talked about that, the idea that it seems that maybe species kind of have to go through this like super dangerous period uh, before they can sort of ascend into that higher position. And that actually kind of brings us to the concept of what's called the Fermi paradox. And for those of us who don't know, the uh, quantum physicist, astronomer dude by the name of Enrico Fermi was uh, brought into the sort of the upper echelons of the uh, space administration. And the first thing he asked was, where are they? And they're like, what? And he's like, where are the little green men? I want to know. I'm in a place where I can be declassified, so tell me. And they're like, we got nothing, pal. And so that's his whole thing of like, if it's so probable that there's life in the universe, why can't we see it? Why can't it, you know, why isn't it just buzzing around us all the time? Um, And I think you're right is, you know, SETI, the search for extraterrestrial life is listening for radio waves. But what says that these beings are communicating via radio waves, right? 
Mm-hmm. A lot of people will sort of posit the idea that our detonating of a nuclear bomb is what got the attention of whatever's out there, kind of much like with Zephyrum Cochrane hitting Warp 1 that sort of piqued the uh, ears of the Vulcans to uh, come and check us out. Mm-hmm. And so, so maybe that's a possibility. But I think the more you think about it, the, uh, of the idea of these are craft that have pilots inside who are, you know, effectively scientists, you know, uh, getting samples and making home movies for their folks back home, right? That's not really, that's that's probably not what they're doing. And I mean, then the question is, is, you know, are they beings like us? And if they are, you know, Stephen Hawking said that if they're anything like us and they're visiting, we're in deep caca. They're going to overthrow us. They are going to do what we did to indigenous people basically is what he would say and i mean i don't necessarily agree with that either i just think the more you look at it the more you think about it the less likely i would say that these are actually nuts and bolts craft making their way uh, off you know on, on stellar winds or however they get here um, over vast distances to come here and see us i just don't really think that's what's probably happening yeah it seems I, again i don't like to just discount things but it seems unlikely (laughs) and again there's just not enough variables to calculate in to give an actual answer so we kind of have to go with gut feelings on that and i mean that's not to say that whatever this phenomenon is there does seem to be an inquisitiveness about it and i think human beings can recognize that right you know people will often talk about feeling watched or sort of having these interactions and we'll kind of get deeper into that but um it's not to say that maybe we aren't dealing with scientists it's just what their intentions are and how they perceive reality might also be a challenge in in fully conveying what intentions on either side might be should we actually be encountering something that's actually intelligent so maybe my next question then is is what do you think alien life on another planet would even look like and would it be recognizable that's a a question i really enjoy kind of delving into <laughs> because you know i i feel like the Star Trek portrayal of aliens, which was limited by budget and and all that sort of thing. I I really don't think we're going to go out there and find humanoid life forms with a head and 10 fingers, (laughs) 10 toes, two arms, two legs, you know, all that sort of thing. Like I just look at the life here on our planet. And I was watching some videos recently about octopus and, and how they may be far more intelligent than we generally think they are and that sort of thing. And I mean, it is when you, when you watch an octopus for like 20 minutes and just see how they move and how they exist in the world around them, they are for lack of a better term, so alien to us as human beings in, in how they operate. And they're from our home planet. We have common ancestors if you go back far enough. (laughs) So anything that comes from a completely different line of evolution, like completely separated from us, I mean, they're, they're, you're going to have certain forms because they're useful uh, I, th- I think there's something that said that different lines of evolution have all kind of converged onto looking like a crab <laughs> in various <laughs> different ways. But, you know, you've got to think they've got to look so crazy. And then like, what about things that, and, and here's where I'm getting way off the rails. What about things that aren't even based on 
DNA or carbon or anything like that. Like Star Trek gives us these non-corporeal energy creatures all the time, like things that are just completely outside the realm of anything that we would recognize as life forms. Um, there's a, there's a series of novels and I, I'm, I apologize. I can't remember which novels they are or who wrote them, but there was a, a species of alien that when earth ships went to explore their system, they were killing them on mass because they were using radio and these, these aliens existed in that realm that radio waves travel and that was wiping them out. Yeah. Arson Scott Card, um, of Ender's Game fan, the, mm-hmm. fan, the, uh, the author, I think he did a species, not in the first novel, but in one of the other ones or in another one of his novels where the danger with the aliens was actually their way of communication. They, they exchange right. genetic information in order to communicate. So anytime they try to talk to a person, they kill them by just like, like, warping all their cells and killing yeah. them. So yeah, I mean there's there's a lot of things to consider if we are to really try and interact with with yeah, creatures that that have undergone an entirely different path of evolution in in wildly different circumstances and and over potentially different spans of time, right? We would be uh, we would be remiss to think they would be anything like us, uh, I think in some cases. Mm. So, I guess, you know, to even go there if you if you have a pet, um, just know your dog typically doesn't see much red. So one time I remember I was at a friend's house way out in the country and their satellite was, it had snow on it or something, I don't know. Um, but it wasn't transmitting, it was only transmitting blues and yellows. Hmm. Uh, there was no reds going in and so therefore that's all you've got. And we were watching a soccer game. Boy, was it weird. (laughs) And I remember like, I almost felt like I was going crazy after a while. Like I felt like I was kind of losing, losing grip. Cause I like, I just like, where's the red? I need to see the red. Where's the red? There's supposed to be red here. And it it, like, I really kind of like freaked myself out almost because like for some, that would be like explaining water to a fish, right? Like, or, Mm -hmm. or people who maybe don't see color in the same vibrant, vibrant span due to something macular. Right. I think we we have a very strong grip on a very paper thin understanding of reality. Uh, would you say? Yeah, I, I would say like for thousands of years, like we relied on our five senses, which, as we know, can completely fail us. Like I <laughs> another corner of the Internet that I have found myself at times is um Uh, There's certain YouTubers who like to do flat earth debunking videos, like people that make videos saying that the earth is flat. And then these other YouTubers come and say, no, it's not. Here's how we know. And blah, blah, blah. And our senses would tell us if you looked out the window, yep, that's, we live on a flat plane. Uh, We know that's not the case. And there's a variety of ways that we know that experiments that have been done in, back to antiquity that we've known that for a very, very long time. So we know that even on that basic level, even in the physical level, our senses can totally blind us to the reality. So if you start working in other things that we now regularly use, like, you know, unseen radiation that we've talked about, radio waves, Wi-Fi, all of that stuff, there, there's a whole universe around us that we do not perceive that we don't exist in with the exception of through our technology. So 
we've managed to detect those things and utilize them using our technology. Who knows what else is out there that we don't even have the vaguest inkling of. And I mean, I've used this as an example in a past episode, but it's it's one of my favorite things. An episode of Stargate SG-1, uh, they bring some device through the Stargate to Earth, and all of a sudden, these creatures start appearing, just like crawling over like computer monitors and like big, huge bug type creatures. And they're freaking out. Like, how did we let these things through? Where are they coming from? And it starts to spread throughout the whole state and like the surrounding cities. There's reports of people seeing these things, not just, well, to spoil it, apologies if you've not seen this episode, by the end, they realize that this device is simply emitting something that allows you to see into this realm that has always been there. (laughs) And these creatures are all around us doing their thing, not really interacting with us, just kind of existing. And we haven't let them invade the planet. They've always been here. We can just now sense them. And so we need to get rid of this device so we stop seeing them and having (laughs) car accidents because they're freaking us out and stuff. So What a fantastic segue, Dan. Um, And that's the next question is, is so, you know, I'm guessing, you know, being that you have admitted to watching these, these, fun YouTube videos as I do. Um, I'm guessing you've seen some UFO footage that you would say is compelling in the sense that you just can't pin it on anything within your realm of understanding or perception. Am I right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have seen a few of those. Yeah. (laughs) So barring the possibility now, because we have sort of explained this away and and obviously this is a a lighthearted discussion without a lot of follow-up. And so we could be fact-checked in a lot of ways, but my guess is, is, is you and I are both pretty much in agreement that nuts and bolts isn't necessarily the likelihood here if there's anything going on at all. But what if the call is coming from inside the house? Uh, in the sense that, you know, when you see something funny in the sky, you're perceiving something that maybe you don't normally or wouldn't in normal circumstances, but due to a number of unknown converging circumstances, there you are looking up at something that maybe like the Stargate episode was there all along. What mm. do you think of that theory that that what we're looking at is actually something maybe a lot closer to home. I think it's very compelling again, for those reasons, because like our experience and what we perceive is such a, a paper thin part of the spectrum of things that exists and possibly thinner than we can even imagine. So it's a compelling thought for sure. I, I think it's interesting, the timing of this discussion as well, given that the events of just the past week with that uh, balloon that has been floating over the u.s until very recently was just shot down today i believe or yesterday but that would be something that you know doesn't really fall into this realm but it's something that people would look up and see and i'm sure when people saw it other people said oh that's nothing like you're it's your imagination what are you talking about oh it really was a thing it was a thing maybe a little bit more tangible and easier to get your head around than some of the other phenomena people have seen but it's interesting that it did turn out to be a real thing yeah and 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 maybe uh what i would have my takes on it is uh there's a lot of a lot of hubbub over what was clearly a weather balloon but if it is surveillance i don't know um it's I, i feel like the u.s being 
pontificating on anyone surveilling or violating airspace <laughs> they're one to talk i mean talk yeah. to talk to the people of yemen about uh, violations of their airstrike uh, airspace or the same idea people of syria or any anyway i digress i'm moving back away from the political badberry um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i i think that that personally you know when I th- when I really try to reflect on what I saw that night with my dogs, the impression I get is something maybe a lot more at home. It, it just didn't feel like, I guess it felt alien in the sense that, you know, I didn't know what I was perceiving and my only inclination was just to get the heck out of there as fast as I could. But um, when I think back on it and from the videos I have seen, going on Reddit even to, to check out their, their UFO page, you can usually find some interesting things. I, I guess it makes a little more sense to me that, that maybe we're seeing something that's a little bit, uh, a little bit closer to us or, or, or a, some kind of intelligence that um, has been with us. And, and I think I want to quickly throat clear on a couple of things. You know, there's the concept of like, well, maybe they live in a hollow earth or something. And I think that's that's just that's even that's even more um, out of this world than the concept of the Earth being flat. If you're a flat Earther, never get in an airplane. If you understand the physics of what flying over a flat Earth would be, uh, be like, and, and the flight paths that the planes are like taking that you could look at with your eyes, never get in a plane because <laughs> <laughs> even just the the science and the math there doesn't work. Yeah. Um, and then other people have said, you know, well, maybe the Earth is hollow. Uh, there actually was an incident uh, in one of the Apollo missions where they they struck the moon moon with some kind of equipment and the moon like vibrated for like 15 minutes or something after that like there was sign that it was still like resonating like a big bell but i think that gets explained away in the fact that it's dry there's no there's no moisture on the moon it's it's a big rock floating in space it might it might vibrate like that because it's it's being suspended inside of a gravitational wave um you see those like floating balls that you can get that are like the globe if you give it a little knock it'll vibrate there for a long time afterward Mm. so i want to kind of throat clear those things out i would actually maybe go in the direction of sort of maybe maybe our stories about them were different right Uh, typically i go to the idea of the fey right Um, i have irish ancestry and so you talking about your ancestors saying no whistling during the northern lights my grandmother on my dad's side was irish and she had a lot of superstitions and, and things you shouldn't shouldn't do and, and little prohibitions and you don't want to anger the fairies, you know, and, and stuff like that. You make sure your garden is well kept because you don't want to bring anything you shouldn't have there. And those kinds of things that, that have always kind of stuck with me. And, and typically they are they are good rules to follow in a lot of cases. Um, I could see scientifically speaking, if say a person was looking up at the Northern Lights and were dazzled by it, they might try to follow them and then get lost in the vast North American wilderness, which might be a bad call in that sense. And I think, you know, there, there is a lot of lessons to be learned with a lot of the stories that we tell. But I think when you think about some of the stories that people have told about being abducted or encountering these phenomenon, sometimes you get a lot of connective tissue. Now, again, I have to throw it clear one more time before I quiet myself again. But like, I'm also not going into the idea that like, the Egyptians or any of the other ancient people from past times were like aided by aliens to build anything. I think that sometimes falls on the, if white people didn't do it, then aliens must have helped them um, kind of feeling <laughs> in certain cases. <laughs> so no, I, I do think that, that um, Machu Picchu and the, the pyramids and Angkor Wat are, are triumphs of human engineering <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, 
And whether or not, you know, an Aztec temple uh, or the people building the Aztec temple had some kind of contact with a greater power or whatever you and I think we might be perceiving um, is one thing, but I do still think people made them and it's it's because we're good at math and we're good at problem solving and we're good at working together. Yeah, that's a little addition to that. Just that twigged a memory for me. I saw a post recently on social media and it was somebody had asked an AI art thing to create a picture of what it would look like if ancient Egypt never fell. And it was like all these things, you know, modern skyscrapers with Sphinx on them and and just kind of really cool stuff. But like somebody replied to that. It's like, yeah, it's really too bad that Egypt and Egyptians don't exist anymore. Isn't it (laughs) like, what are you talking about? (laughs) They didn't go away. They're still there. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, like, again, there's so much history, right? Like, there's so much history, especially like just using Egypt as an example, right? I mean, it was, it's, it's layers upon layers of human history. And, And for people to argue that, you know, the Sphinx was probably touched up a number of times over a period of time, and maybe Egypt's history is longer than we give it credit for. You know what? Fine. That is 100% possible because we learn new things about ourselves all the time. And the way we, we look at history, you know, I often think about how Iguanodon was originally portrayed in like the old Victorian encyclopedia. It looked like a kangaroo given two thumbs up. Um, the Iguanodon is a kind of a, it's a dinosaur theropod. It's a two, or it's, I think it's more related to hadrosaurs. I don't know. Anyway, it's, it's on two legs typically, but it can go on all fours. And it's got like this like spiky thumb that I can stab people with or whatever. Not people, I guess. Other dinosaurs. <laughs> Hopefully no, not no, people. <laughs> yeah. No Flintstones were harmed in, in, in interaction with the Iguanodon. You know, I think the way originally we as a as a society and when i say we i mean western society saw the agonadon obviously they had no idea what was going on um, and over time there's been greater knowledge and greater understanding but again it's not to say that their understanding was infantile they their their society had a living to keep and their society was up to things but there were certain conceits they were you know very western centric there was a certain air of white supremacy that existed within victorian society so that's what their society imagined it and so i think in a lot of cases a society's imagination is very much a reflection on on what it thinks this phenomenon is it's very it's been very scientified over time but like I know of, of accounts of people, I was raised Roman Catholic, where, you know, um, strange phenomenon would take place in the house or outside of the house, and people would think that it was a relative who had passed on, who was in between heaven and hell in a, a place called purgatory, where they are to purge their sins before they go to heaven if they didn't get last rites before they died. So if I was 300 years ago, and I was letting my dogs out into the back of wherever I lived, and I looked up at the sky and I saw that blue light well maybe that was great grandma connie you know trying to say pray for me <laughs> or something right mm-hmm. and then i'd go and, and say a novena of rosaries to, to and, and maybe pay a couple of indulgences to the church um, that kind of thing right absolutely that that's a really great point that societies really put on what they encounter a lot of what their lived experiences or what their philosophy or or legends are right and uh, i i think it's also a really good point to remember that a lot of us look back at those ancient societies and say oh how silly of them to think this and that but you know there's never an end point 
of knowledge and there's never a point where we've got it all figured out and it's the height of hubris to think that oh we know what that is now or we we've got this all figured out as much as i was talking about the things we've learned through science it's an ongoing continuum and people two three four hundred years from now i mean we see that in star trek the next generation picard looking back at the 20th century and saying oh those savage barbarians who had things like stock markets oh those crazy people who didn't know what was what right <laughs> yeah well and and to to build on that one thing that i've i've really gotten my head wrapped around or trying to get my head wrapped around in a lot of ways is understanding that you know say knowledge from from indigenous uh knowledge keepers and elders those are sciences and, mm -hmm. and we need to think of them and understand them as sciences because you know at the point of contact with European and indigenous people in North America, just using that specifically, what what you saw was evidence of a highly sophisticated, ancient people who had, you know, societies had ebbed and flowed over time, but clearly had, had maintained a sustained existence on the continent you and I live on right now for like, like tens of thousands of years at least, right? Mm -hmm. And so in that respect, you're right that there would have been ebb and flow in their life and knowledge would have never been known. But I do think that there are right ways of seeing things and ways that will paint us into corners. And I think if you think about the way our, our climate is changing so quickly, how fast it seems we're, we're rushing towards war, right? You bring up the balloon. I mean, what else is it but a pretext for two extremely powerful nations to start throwing nuclear rocks at each other, right? So I think I think in certain cases, maybe when we see these things, there there's a way to maybe kind of pull ourselves out of the way we see things and and from that get an observer effect maybe a little bit and, and see ourselves a little more clearly in the weird thing we're we're getting a load of, I guess. I, I think an open mind is is definitely an important thing to have, both looking back at the past, as you say, and looking forward to the future. So I got to ask, I've listed a number of kind of relatively high profile uh, cases of, of encounters or experiences or sightings. Uh, and I want to just kind of rattle off a few and we can talk about them. And then finally, I want to get your, your final take. Like, what do you really think's going on? Because I think mine might be a little on the, uh, the wooey side, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play a big card. But first of all, are there any UFO cases out there that, that have captured your imagination or at least your attention, Dan? Well, I think the, uh, actually just recently a YouTuber I watched did a, a video and a series of videos on some of the, the most recent UFO footage that have been captured by fighter pilots and that sort of thing. So 2009, I think is the initial one that captured a lot of attention. And I think unless I'm conflating various ones, I think that was the, the kind of Tic Tac looking object and the reports that have been compiled about various sightings since then, which I, I think at last count, there's like 270 some that were very similar to this that and various footages that went with it that they opened an investigation into. And I think like half to two thirds of them have been explained, whether satisfactorily or not, but they've been said, okay, this is a phenomenon that happens when, you know, blah, 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 this happens, this happens. Oh, that looks to be a, a thing with the gyroscope in the camera. It does this weird thing that causes this weird effect. There's one that kind of did this weird, like twisty thing and they kind of figured out, oh, that's a, that's a malfunction. And we've kind of 
done experiments to figure out how to cause that to happen and how to cause it to not happen. But that leaves like a half to a third of those that are still as yet unexplained. So yeah, I'm, I'm really interested in kind of following that one. And interestingly enough, the one that set it all off, the 2009 video where I think they're banking hard following this thing and, and just like trying to keep it in their sights and it's moving really fast. That one is still unexplained. So, uh, I'm, I'm, that's one that's been yeah. kind of capturing my attention recently. Neat. Yeah. That one, that one, that, and I have that listed as sort of like the Tic Tac Fleer footage mm-hmm. where just, yeah, weird crap went down. I think for me, the most compelling case is the the Rua or Aerial School UFO incident. Uh, it was on September 16th, 1994, and uh, 62 elementary aged school children in Zimbabwe saw a one or more, usually one, silver craft sort of bobbing around and it descend, descended from the sky. And then beings came out and as they moved along the ground, it was as if the laws of physics weren't completely attached to them as they kind of moved as if they were skating and some children i can't remember how many but a number of them claimed that they even uh, communicated or at least were communicated with um, that the the beings were communicating with them telepathically unfortunately no teachers were there for it Uh, there was a number of sort of cascading coincidences where they are having a staff meeting and one teacher was busy with something uh, when it happened but um, that happened in 1994 when they were young young people kind of our age actually and so they're our age now and the majority of them who do want to talk about it because most of them are like no that incident is behind me and i never want to talk about it again (laughs) Um, the ones who do very much still say no that definitely happened i completely remember it it was a thing and it was traumatic and all that sort of stuff that one really captures my attention because just the way in which they they describe the beings the way they describe a lot of things kind of makes sense in my perception of what we're dealing with Mm -hmm. so Asking the big one, what do you think? Roswell, um, also known as the Corona incident for the nerds out there. Where do you land on that? Was that a hot air balloon or a weather balloon or those dummies that they were dropping? (laughs) Roswell is an interesting one because it's one that I've found when you start to dig into it, you find a lot of things that kind of got conflated or blown up or, or that kind of thing, at least in the, in the popular consciousness, I, I think there's kind of a mythos around it. We all know, of course, that it was uh, three Ferengi and a changeling that uh, right? <laughs> crashed, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. When are um, they going to get that? When Data's head was still down there. Yeah. <laughs> somewhere. Yeah, Data's head is under San Francisco throughout all of human history, but or since the 1800s anyway. Yeah, um, yeah. That's awesome. But yeah, uh, Roswell is, I, I have a tough time with it just because it's, gotten so much of this like pop culture stuff around it that sometimes I find it really hard to kind of puncture that balloon and and figure <laughs> out what actually happened on the day yeah. there but uh it's a fun one Roswell's definitely a, a lot of fun yeah I I would I would probably go in the direction that that whatever happened has been swallowed by pop culture mm-hmm. so at this point everything and nothing happened there in a lot of in a lot of ways um what about uh, did you ever watch fire in the sky when you were a kid um 
kind of came around the X-Files time. Uh, it was Travis Walton. He was a, a logger in, uh, I believe, Utah? Yeah, he got, like, pulled up into a, a craft with a beam, and his friends saw, and they, like, took off, and he was found, like, a couple days later, and he had quite the story to tell. Hmm, it, it sounds vaguely familiar, but definitely not something that I recall a lot about. Yeah, what about, like, Benny and Betty and Barney Hill? The, uh, the two, they were coming back from a holiday, and they were in New Hampshire, uh, this would have been in the, the 60s, I think, or early 70s, I can't remember. They were uh, allegedly abducted and uh, had sort of experiments or something like that done to them. Have you ever heard that one? Or what are your thoughts on the, the abduction phenomenon? Yeah, I, I don't, I'm not familiar with that one in particular. Yeah, abduction phenomenon is a, is a weird one because, and again, like, you don't like to disbelieve people or offhand or whatever, but human brains and memory are so fallible sometimes and and that one's a tough one because again you know i really want to respect people's lived experiences i know what i saw (laughs) yeah and and i mean it's never you can never prove that though which is unfortunate like it, it bugs me that it's it's human minds and human stuff is so fallible and and ah i never know what to think about that stuff because it's all just what a person says right well maybe maybe we get into takes now i think that might be a good idea and and i don't want to make the episode too too long either but uh maybe i can help dispel some of this for you dan Uh, maybe i can help you feel better because you're right because perception equals reality doesn't it? it what we what we see ultimately um, will be what is. And most of the memories that we have are constructions in the mind. They are not um, They are not fully reliable. They are not complete, right? And I would argue even video surveillance evidence can, can be deceiving in a lot of cases and in a lot of ways. So my take on all of this is, and, and this is thinking about um, the idea that, that people have experienced abduction-like experiences for a lot of human history, right? Um, such such experiences might even be painted on cave walls, right? Now, is that to say that aliens have been visiting us since all of that time? Well, I don't really know. But I want to ask you, have you ever heard of what Einstein thought of the universe? Um, specifically, I'm not sure what you're referring to. <laughs> well, in the sense of time and space, it's a block, right? We we live in a block of space-time. And this is maybe an apocryphal story, but at the death of a friend, uh, a mutual friend, uh, the, the, the wife of the, of the friend approached Einstein and said, okay, Mr. Physicist, what do you think happened? You know, now, now that he's dead, where is he now? And <clears throat> Einstein said, well, if it's, if it's what I think, he's started his life again. And she's like, well, what do you mean? So picture basically your life in this block of space-time, moving through it like a filament, right? Like a filament of time, you know, moving and ebbing and flowing and interacting with other filaments and all that sort of stuff, right? If you were to look at our, if you were to three-dimensionalize block time, that's what it would look like. And your life starts at the start of that filament and it moves along at a, at a constant pace with everything else and then it, it, it terminates. So what happens? after that well maybe it's just complete oblivion or if you think about it our brain perceives reality in a constant of time but it's actually not a constant whatsoever we have a way of kind of keeping that constant by having machines 
give us a perception of reality, but time moves fast and slow depending on what you're doing, if you're asleep, if you're awake, if you're having fun, if you're at a doctor's office, all that stuff. So Einstein and other physicists, as far as I understand, would have believed that basically you just live your life over and over and over again, never perceiving that you have, because that's how your brain perceives time. You've mentioned this before, and I it's it's a thought that like it it shouldn't be, but it it's oddly comforting. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, because I'll it, never know anyway. But I don't know. It, it I I like that. <laughs> well, I do like the fact that maybe in that case, you and I are having this conversation through eternity. And if you think about space time, nothing can change the conversation that's happened so far. So mm. I'm I'm glad to be sharing this time and space with you, even though we're not in the same room at all, even. So <laughs> then I want you to think about the idea that if life exists in you know, at all, does it even have to necessarily exist within the bonds of our space, our block space-time? And what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a little thought experiment for everybody. And if you're driving, you might want to pull over because I'm, I'm, I might try to like break your brain here for a second. But I want you all to picture Mario on your screen, two-dimensional, first NES game ever came out, da 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 right? Boom. There's Mario. He's on your screen, right? He is a two-dimensional being, as, as are the Goombas and everything else. And they are kind of like, they, they have programming. I mean, not as, not as sophisticated as, say, our DNA or anything like that. But that's our programming in a three-dimensional space. Uh, but he's a two-dimensional being in a two-dimensional space, experiencing everything in two dimensions, right? How could he possibly perceive something that's three dimensions? It would be impossible. And even in that respect, if you took the monitor that he is being projected from and moved it, would he be able to perceive that monitor being moved through three-dimensional space? Not at all. And then when you really think about it, the monitor is actually just a projection. He's coming out of the box. He's coming out of the Nintendo system. Um, and it's merely a projection of his being that's being created. So what is to say then that much like we use a three-dimensional analog to pilot a two-dimensional avatar in a two-dimensional world, that beings who are outside of our block universe being able to pilot a four-dimensional analog, or sorry, use a four-dimensional analog to pilot a three-dimensional avatar to try and interact with us, I don't think that's necessarily out of the question. And maybe it might be for you, but if I think about the things we see, the weirdness of it, our inability to perceive it, the fact that two people can look at it and see different things, or that you go into your basement and you see your ghost of a grandma, or you're in the woods and you see what you think is Bigfoot, or you look up in the sky and you think what's a UFO, maybe what we're seeing is something that our brains just can't possibly comprehend. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I mean, I, I think that's really fascinating. And the Star Trek analog to that, I feel like at the start of the conversation, my mind was going to the Bajoran prophets, right? They right? Live, wormhole aliens. Yeah, the wormhole aliens. They live outside of space time. They encounter Benjamin Sisko. They can't figure out his life because it's linear. They don't ex experience a linear life like he does. And once they know that, in, and it doesn't make a ton of sense that they didn't know it before and they know it now, but from our perspe perspective, that's what happened because we're linear. They're now able to go into his past and influence his birth so that he becomes their emissary, even though that's already happened from our perspective. So yeah, I like that idea of like beings outside of us 
not interacting with us in the same way the prophets do by making someone their Messiah necessarily, but by exploring our world or, or trying to figure us out by piloting a character. And then from there, my brain goes to like simulation theory and all of that stuff. Like, is our world real or is it a construction of somebody outside of that system? Uh, I, I think that that question is almost immaterial to what we're talking about, but it's still like an interesting tangent that my brain goes to as well. Well, I, I guess like if it's, you know, the way I've explained it kind of more in this virtual sense. And I mean, again, I'm a product of my time and, and time frame in which I am alive, right? This is, this is a, a millennial 1980s baby trying to make sense of something that they saw one night that really, you know, buggered up their brain <laughs> and made them, you know, not really sure because like when I looked at it, I, I felt an emotion, Dan. Like it was like a fear that I couldn't explain from what I had seen. Like I have seen things I couldn't see or couldn't explain immediately in the sky before and didn't immediately feel, feel like a sense of like crippling dread, right? And then for like one of my dogs who typically is the braver of the two, which is remarkable in that sense, her reaction comparatively, really not wanting to be around. Also, I just sort of found, you know, correlative. And I mean, who knows? Maybe it was a drone. Maybe it was a plane. Maybe it was ball lightning. Who knows? But whatever it was, it, it, it had an impact on me and it sort of made me want to think more about you know, where I am in the universe and who I am as a person and how I want to live my life and stuff. And I know that sounds weird, but like when you really start trying to delve into explaining something you can't, big existential questions pop up. Yeah. And I wonder, like, I mean, I mean, there's no way to, to know for sure anything, but your brain starts to go to various things like this is predicated on a ton of ifs, but if that theory is correct, if that was the avatar of something looking into our three-dimensional universe from a four-dimensional outside universe. If all of that, then maybe that fear you felt, that existential dread, was like a defense mechanism. Like, you're not supposed to notice this. Look away, look away, look away. Forget yeah. <laughs> about this. Forget about this. Block this out of your mind. Yeah. Uh, now, it's had the opposite effect, so whoops. <laughs> but maybe that's part of the the programming or something. Yeah. Or, or it's it's a four-dimensional di four being trying to interact like I would play a Super Nintendo game for the first time, mm -hmm. right? Like it, it's kind of kind of messing it up. Like it, it's it's fallible when it comes into it, it is subject suddenly to all of the laws and whatnot, or at least somewhat has to be around for those things, right? Which again makes me think about the tic tac phenomenon of these like weird things zipping around and apparently defying all laws of physics and meteorology and you know thermodynamics and yada yada yada, right? Well, it makes sense if you like you think about it from like a Minecraft perspective of being able to just sort of zip around in any direction you want because it's it doesn't matter it's a constructed environment right which again kind of brings up is this a simulation or have they cracked the code of it or who knows right but yeah i wonder you know you know if it is trying to interact then we would associate an attempted interaction means that there's a purpose to that interaction what is the purpose that they're trying to get with interacting with us um, sometimes i wonder it's probably because they know where this is going and i think that if we think about the ecosystem that our planet has, there's 
necessarily in my my thoughts an ecosystem greater in the universe that we just simply can't perceive you know and if you think about a lot of our religious mythos from all around there tends to be something of a of a uniting message you know there tends to be something that that human beings have always been kind of been trying to scratch at you know if you think about the old in plato's republic the the people staring at the cave wall right as a fire is illuminating the wall the shadows cast um, from the outside are all they are all they get so they perceive reality based on these shadows that are cast on the wall and then someone manages to get taken out of this cave that they're in where the shadows are cast on the wall and then they go outside and have a walk and they come back down and they're like what did you see and they're like i can't even explain it <laughs> right <laughs> i think about that you know if if people who have these abduction experiences are very similar to people who would have had shamanic experiences in the past and the other piece of this is, is i don't necessarily think this is outside of the realm of the human brain it's a very complicated series of modules that make up one organ that ultimately named itself. So to think that all of this isn't just a projection of our brain, that it's some kind of programming we all have in our heads, at the very least, it had a really profound experience, a profound effect on me, and it's made me want to be a better person in some cases. So I hope in certain in certain ways that whether or not it's actually a phenomenon or if it's a construction of the mind or it's just sort of zeitgeist, you know, we always have our funny and crazy stories we like to tell. The deeper piece of it is, is I hope it's helping us better understand ourselves. And I think that's Star Trek in a lot of ways, right? Mm -hmm. What are all the aliens but just facets of the human condition and kind of bringing us full circle on the conversation of really – we are explorers, and I think the number one place we need to explore is is our own minds, understanding what our intentions are, what we're about. Yeah, that's uh, really profound. And my brain keeps branching to different thoughts and ideas throughout this conversation. And, and right now, I'm also thinking about like the boundaries of science and physics and quantum physics. And the closer we look at our world and we get down to the 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 building blocks, how things just kind of fritz and, and don't make a lot of sense. Like once you get down to, you know, the quantum level of things and going back from the, the double slit experiment of light and yeah. just starting there and then going to like, are we looking at the pixels of our universe at this point and, and physics breaking down at that low level and stuff it really makes you question the nature of the universe around you and then the idea that there's something else outside of that ah it's really fascinating <laughs> i don't know what any conclusions are but it's making me go wow that's crazy well and i and i hope i hope that's uh that's something that everyone got out of this conversation in the sense that um we have so much that we can have on wonder for and i hope that uh you know, telling scary stories around the campfire or watching funny, spooky, funny videos, you know, no matter how perhaps uh, fake they are or, or unexplainable, it's a good way to, uh, it's a good way to spend time and it's a good, good conversations to get in. I think people need to watch out not to get too caught up in the weeds of some of the uh, weirder and more kind of bizarre phenomenon. Uh, sort of a, uh, I hope you don't mind, uh, Dan, and we can we can cut this out of if you want, but uh, there is actually a podcast I've been listening to that I don't fully agree with all the things she's covering and don't fully find all of the things she talks about interesting, but there is actually a UFO podcast I've been listening to called The UFO Rabbit Hole, um, hmm. hosted by Kelly Chase. I think she's very principled in her research. I think she's very 
very even-handed. And I think she's also very self-indulgent, which is great because I think I've been very self-indulgent tonight. And I'd like to thank everyone for listening. (laughs) Well, it's definitely been a really fun conversation. And I, I look forward to many more conversations with you about this, whether it's on the podcast or otherwise. I, I, I really enjoy talking about stuff like this. And one more Star Trek thing that just popped into my head while we were talking about this was, do you remember the sixth season TNG episode schisms where various members of the Enterprise crew kept getting abducted by these aliens and like one crew member had his arm removed and then reattached and Riker kept getting taken. That I think deserves a rewatch after this discussion. (laughs) Yeah, actually that's a really good idea. Season six. Yes. Okay. I will have a look at that. That sounds like fun. (laughs) Oh wait, is it that? No, no. I'm thinking of the one where, where Riker um, has that like relationship uh, with like, uh, he's got like a son and everything. And then it just turns out, it just like ends. It's just like this gray alien. Yeah. That one's future imperfect season (laughs) four. Yeah. Oh man. That one really tumbled to the conclusion, but aliens again, right? (laughs) Yeah. No, schisms is the, the most memorable scene to me is there's a bunch of people in the holodeck trying to recreate what they experienced. It was a dark room and there was a table. No, it was a metal table. It was angled like this. There was clicking in the background Mm. and, and like they create this and it goes around to all their faces and they're all kind of shivering and they're like, I've been in this room before. It's, it's a really creepy episode. Really good one. Nice. I'll definitely check that out. (laughs) Well, with that, we hope you've enjoyed this. You can uh, follow us on Facebook at the positively trick Facebook group. Um, I think that's pretty much all we talk about now in terms of finding us a lot of social media is weird i don't know if you do insta or anything like that dan but we are on instagram i'm a little slow at posting some of the stuff basically the show art i post every week or i'm supposed to be posting every week (laughs) Um, but yeah positively trek at gmail.com if you want to email us and uh positively trek.com is our homepage, which i don't really talk about much but uh, yeah we've got a website wonderful well we hope you all have a wonderful conversations with with other people if you if you are interested in having these further on and uh, feel free to share them with us on the positively trek facebook group but uh, until then uh, live long and prosper and stay positive so okay total total aside i might even just cut this right out of the podcast but is data's head under san francisco in the kelvin timeline What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.